Welcome to another podcast from the Burlington Congregation of the Church of God International. You can find out more about CGI Burlington on our website at cgiburlington.org. I would like to begin with asking you a question. How would you describe yourself as a Christian in terms of passion, passion, enthusiasm? You know, how would you just describe yourself? Are you very passionate or are you not so passionate? So let's say on the scales from 1 to 10, 10 being very passionate and 1 not so passionate. How would you describe yourself? What would you put in yourself on the scale from 1 to 10? Just think for a moment. The other question I'll ask you, have you ever been around people who are very passionate about God? We probably all get to know or at least experience some effects of being around with people who are very passionate about God. What do you think? What do these people have in common? People who are so passionate for God. What do they have in common? You know, what I notice that people, one thing they have in common, it doesn't matter what the circumstances are around them. They are in trouble or not in trouble. The world is falling apart, the world is okay. There is a nice weather or bad weather. It's cold or hot. Doesn't matter what it is. These people are always very passionate about God, very enthusiastic about God and the way of the kingdom. So, before we go to the gifts, I think it will be very helpful to understand what is enthusiasm. So, I shared this a little bit of this message with the Peace of Leamington, so just be patient for those people in Leamington. But what is enthusiasm? It comes from a Greek word, actually, from Greek, two words. And, E-N, and Tians, which means God. So basically what it means, enthusiast means in God. So basically, or originally, they would describe person, enthusiastic person, as in God. And later on they would say, person who was enthusiastic, they would say, this person is full of God. So just think about for a moment. If we are the first fruits of God's kingdom, on this scale of 1 to 10, all the knowledge that we possess, all the blessings that we receive from God our Father, where should we be on this scale from 1 to 10? I think we should be at 11, 12. Just to be so grateful for the way how God predestined us, so to speak, and chose us before the foundations of the world to be in this position that we are right now. So, brethren, why are so many of us not so enthusiastic about being Christian. I think there are many reasons, but the two most important reasons, that's what I think, personally, what I believe. We lose the enthusiasm, we lose the zeal for God, because you know, we are not wholeheartedly committed to God. And God says the message all, all over the way in the Bible, like Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 6, 5, when it says, we should love the Lord with our hearts, with our mind, with our soul. Can we just put a little bit here, a little bit there? No, God needs our whole, whole being. And number two, number two reasons that we are not so enthusiastic, we are not so passionate about God, it's because we don't exercise our gifts that God gave us. And in many cases, we don't even know what is our spiritual gifts. How many of you do know here, what is your 
on what are your spiritual gifts. If you know exactly what are your spiritual gifts, I want you to raise your hand. So you see, most of you probably swimming around and thinking, what are the spiritual gifts? What do I have? If you go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Just before we going to read the scripture here, I want you to keep something in mind before we start reading this passage. <coughs> we live in a day and age that information is so easy available at the tip of the finger. Every single one of us has a Bible, at least one Bible. Many of us have multiple Bibles. And then, speaking about technology, you know, on my little phone like that, I can have multiple versions, and I can access Greek and Hebrew, and I can access concordance and anything I want in a matter of a few seconds. Whatever I say to you, you can check up on me in a matter of three, four seconds if I'm telling you the truth or not. Okay? Any, any single one of us here knows how to read and knows how to write. Let's go back 2,000 years ago to the first century. Okay, just go back. Just try to imagine the first century. Back then, people did not have Bibles. The Word of God as we know it today was not yet complete as a final document, okay? So many people didn't have even access. And people who could have an access to the written Word of God, most of them couldn't read. They couldn't write. I did some study about that and just ask you to guess what do you think in first century Palestine how many people as a percentage of population would know how to read or write? Any guesses? Brother Gord? Less. Very less. So they would estimate Daniel? You're very close. So they would estimate that in the rural area about 3% people, some of the people would know how to read and write. In urban area like Jerusalem, they would say probably about 10% of the population would know how to read and write. So now, when you're going to come across the scriptures, you're going to list the guests. Keep all this background information in mind and you will see some of the gifts that are really necessary in the first century are not so necessary right now. So I'm going to call this gift the provisional gift. And the gifts that are listed in 1 Corinthians, I will show you some of them were temporary, and some of them become universal. So let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And verse 8, it says, For to one is given the word of wisdom, through the Spirit, to another the word of knowledge, through the same Spirit, to another faith, by the same Spirit, to another, gifts of healing by the same Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, discerning of spirits. And to another, different kinds of tongues. And to another, the interpretations of tongues. But the one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. Keep all, the, all this information that he gave you before you read this text. Try to imagine yourself living in the first century Palestine. What do you think this gift that Paul listed here? Which of the gifts will be temporary? Very specific to this culture. You know, very necessary to spread the gospel at that time. 
Anyone comes to mind? What about the gift of tongues? I can speak to my tongue, I can speak to my phone today, I can speak to it, I can speak to it in Polish and we'll translate it into English right away. Or vice versa. I can speak to it in English or give me Polish translation of it right away. Go in the first century. Imagine. If we represent the average first first century Palestinian culture right here, okay? So let's say we have 30 people. Three of us will be able to read and write. Imagine somebody passionate, with good oratory skills, comes, walks in, and delivers your message. He will be able to convince you almost of everything. How would you check up on this individual? You don't have a written word of God. You don't even know how to read and write. You can't have all these other people checking on you. How would you know? So we see it's very, it was very necessary for God in the first century to spread the gospel as far as he could. There was real need for the gift of tongues. And when you read in the book, in Acts chapter 2, you don't have to go there. But you know all the stories. How suddenly, how miraculously people. Imagine me standing up here one day, and I can speak to you in perfect English, no accent. You will just look at me like, wow, this has got to be a miracle. You see what I mean? So that's what the people were speaking, perfect English. So the other people, when they would, would, would walk by, would get their attention right away, like, wow. That's my native tongue. It's unbelievable how they can pronounce them all these words. They know exactly. So we'll get people's attention right away. And then, God will spread the gospel. They'll open their hearts and they'll preach to them. So I would say, that's my opinion. And you know, by the way, if you don't like something what I say, I say, that's my opinion. That's my interpretation. And I'm available for discussions later in speaker's corners or even way later if you want to talk and discuss with me. Okay? So I would say that the people of tongues was very temporary. And it's very, just for the specific design for that culture at that time. And the same thing, I believe, was interpretation of tongues. Because in the church of Corinth, some people were so disorganized at the church services, they were speaking, bubbling, who knows what, whatever kind of tongues. And Paul is saying, if there's no interpreter, what the, what's the point of speaking? Nobody can understand. So he says, don't speak unless another can interpret. So it also say that this gift, interpretation of tongues, was just a temporary gift. What do you think would be the third one? I'm going to shock you with that. What about prophecy? Let's say, like, wow, wow, wait a minute. When you read some scriptures, it says when the prophets came to instruct people in a verbal language. God speaks to them personal message to some individuals for some, for some church members, for some groups. Just one direct message. Okay? I'm not saying there are some prophets in the Bible like Isaiah, Jeremiah, Elijah. But in the first century, the gift of prophecy I believe was also temporary. Let me explain why. It was temporary because, as we heard what I said, to direct the people, redirect the people, to correct some mistakes, there need to be some individual and say, pass some personal message to some individuals, pass it along. But once the word of God was complete and become the way we know it today, we don't need that prophets who will come to the church and say, you know, I want Jen to say this to Brother Agent, and I want Jen to say this to Brother Ray. There's no need for that anymore. 
And I know people claim to say like, you know, God told me this, God told me that yesterday. But you can ask them, did you hear his voice? It was a verbal communication. Most people say, ah, no. God still can inspire us. I strongly believe in doing that. So I think that this gift of prophecy at that time was talking to God on one-on-one level. It was just temporary. And if you go to Hebrew, I'll show you a scripture. Hebrew 1. Hebrew 1 and verse 1. Hebrew 1 and verse 1, it says, God, who at various times and in various ways spoke, spoke in time to the fathers by the prophets, he says, has in this last day spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things. So you see, before God need, need to intervene and speak to some individuals to grow up some way, but in these times, we have all the information that we needed. We have codified in this book, which is called the Bible. Anything, we can check it. If it's a doctrinal issues, it's right here. So we don't need a prophet to telling us personally what to believe and what not to believe. So I hope if you agree with me, if you don't agree with me, just please mark, you know, mark, write down your questions that you might have for me, and we'll speak about it later. So what about the other, other parts, the other parts of the gift that we just read? So, you might not like what I'm going to say, but I would say that other gifts like wisdom, knowledge, and faith all along. God doesn't just give them to an individual people and say, I will bless, let's say, Pastor Mori with a gift of wisdom, and I'm just, I don't have any wisdom because God didn't give it to me. That's not what the Bible says. Now, let me see. Let's speak about the gift of wisdom. So, I, I will say that these other gifts were distributed to the church on a universal basis. Everybody to some degree has a gift of wisdom. And if you don't, you don't believe me, I want you to go to James chapter James chapter one. James chapter one, in verse five, James writes here, he says, If any of you, it's not just to some of you, but he says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach and will be given to him. So the gift of wisdom is not just for the few individuals of the church to excel, but this gift of wisdom God has given to every single one of us. And I agree that some people might have more wisdom than the others, but through the time, through the experience, through the knowledge and everything that we go through life, I think we should kind of, we should learn from the people who have more wisdom than us, and ask God how to get more wisdom to help us in our way. What about the gift of knowledge? I want you to go to Second Peter, Second Peter chapter three. And right right there at the end of the letter, in verse eighteen, just a simple instruction that Peter Peter writes, it says, But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We are all motivated, we're inspired to grow in this you know, gift of knowledge. It's not just for some individuals of our church. We all supposed to have this knowledge. And to acquire this knowledge, it's this time and dedication. You have to study the scriptures, you have to pray, you have to fast, you have to be involved, you have to do your research. So it doesn't come free. But God is willing to give us and share us all of it. What about the gift of faith? This is very interesting. And just to say that, you know, God didn't give me this gift of faith. I'm in a church, but I don't have faith. 
I'm not gifted in faith. Is it possible for a Christian not to have a faith? Just think about it. I always say, oh, there are some people who have really strong faith, but you know, God didn't bless me with faith. Is that a true statement? So I want you to go to Romans chapter 1. Let's see what we can find here. There are many scriptures, brother, but I don't have time to give you all of it. But Romans chapter 1, and in verse 17, and Paul is quoting here a scripture from Habakkuk, and he says, and he says for, in, for in it the righteousness of God is, reve- is revealed from faith to faith, as it's written, the just shall live by faith. Who is the just? If you are baptized, if you have the Holy Spirit, you are justified by Christ's sacrifice. And you are not just commanded, but we need to live by faith, whether we like it or not. And we don't have this strong faith over our time. Our faith becomes stronger and stronger and stronger. Just like the gift of knowledge will become stronger and stronger. And eventually, just we'll have acquired more wisdom. Alright, what about the next one? Discerning spirit. Discerning spirit. What about this one? Let's go to First John chapter 4. First John chapter 4. Look how John begins his chapter 4. Beloved, he's not writing just a few individuals who have the spirit, but he's writing to all. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone into the world. So what about this discerning spirit? You see, we all have written word of God. We don't, we don't need to rely on prophets or people who spread miraculous gifts and wisdoms, because we all can read. We all have access to it. We all can check all the doctors. We can all check anybody. We can check up on me when I'm speaking. You don't have any miraculous gift to check when I'm telling you the truth or not. It's right there. It's in the scripture. God gave us to us as a kid. So you see, we don't need to have an individual, specifically a church, to have this discerning spirit. But, if you pay attention to the God's word, over the time as I was staying with knowledge and wisdom and faith and everything, it will also come, the discerning spirit. You will get with your experience, with your age, will come along. Now the next one is very interesting. What about miracles? Some people will claim that for church to exist, doesn't matter what the congregation is, there must be a spectacular sign performed by God to validate the existence of any, of any church. I heard some people say words like that. It says because it's given. God says you have to have an individual who have this gift, gift of miracle. I want to show you what it's supposed to mean. You go to Acts chapter 8. No, book of, book of Acts chapter 1. Book of Acts chapter 1. Look what Jesus says in verse 8. He says, right in verse 8, he says, But you shall receive, and the next word, it's power, I want you to highlight this word. We'll put a circle around it, okay? But you shall receive, and in the in, you know, Greek language, I could read the same way, like, you know, it's stated in, in 1 Corinthians 12.10, when it says miracles. 
It says, but you shall receive miracle when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You see the difference? But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, and in all Judea, and Samaria, and to the end of the world. If you check the same Greek words, which is in 1 Corinthians 12 and 10, if you check the same Greek words, uh, which is dunamis, D-U-N-A-M-I-S, which basically what it means, it means power, or force, or it means ability. So I can just translate, instead of gifts of miracle, just can just, I can just translate it to gifts of ability, or the gifts of power. But you have a slightly different meaning when we say miracles, right? Miracles is something spectacular. When you speak about you know, when we speak about miracles, when you look at miracles, when Jesus was preaching the Gospels, these miracles were spectacular. I'm talking about a person who was blind from birth, and suddenly people can see, people can hear. I'm not talking about people that you see today on TV, that were jumping and crazy and dancing and falling on the ground and calling us miracles of healing. No. Because, you know, I, I can bet you when God is looking at people, they perform his very shame. What they try, you know, how they try to portray God as, I don't want to go right there. Okay, you make your own judgment. But I, 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 I can't even watch things like that. I think we bring shame to God and to his son, Jesus Christ, by doing something like that. So when you look at this concordance, there's one word, power, or dunamis, okay? Whenever you look at it, it's always performed, it's always close associated with spreading the gospel. So this great miracle of healing, okay? Jesus is performing a healing to show us a lesson. To show, he wants to tell us a difference. In the Bible, in the Old Testament, when a person is sick, this means that person kind of like lost person. When somebody is restored a health of a person, what Christ is trying to show us, he's restoring a our standing with the Father, spiritual restorations. Healing is about spiritual restoration. It's not so much about the physical restoration. Nobody wants to get sick. I fully understand that. But let's say if a person on the street, you heal this person from a sickness, from a cancer, and this person is so happy, instead of dying, let's say, in like six months, this person lives for another 20 years. But this person dies after 20 years, and that's it. No connections, and no, no relationship with God. This person is lost forever. Well, let's say a person who has cancer and died in six months, but has a relationship with Christ Jesus, this person will be resurrected if a part in the first resurrection. This person will live forever. But the other person will have to wait to the second resurrection. What's the most important part? Is the gift of you know, physical healing or the gift of spiritual healing? We have to make a choice. So, brethren, those miracles, when you see it, when you try to see today on TV, and so many people want to have it, Many people pray to God, they want to have some gifts, and guess what? We ask for the spectacular ones. We want to speak in tongues, we want to perform miracles, we want to perform a physical healings. We have to be careful what we ask God for. Because give it, God, give it, God is gracious and He's given all of, all, all of His gifts. Let's go to the gift of healing now. That's the next one. Let's go to 1 Peter chapter 2. It's a scripture that is also very often abused. This Peter chapter 2 and verse 24. Many people like to use it in intercessory prayer for a physical healing. First Peter chapter 2 and verse 24. So in verse 24 it says, 
who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sin, might live for righteousness, and it says, by whose stripes you were healed. So this scripture is about spiritual healing. It's not so much about the physical healing. But let's spend some time on this gift of healing. Because some people say, Jen, so he's saying that God cannot heal us physically. Yes, God can heal us physically. And I know when my wife was sick, and after some times, just going in my mind, and looking at all these events, single events and single things that happen in our life, and especially for our life, I'm surely convinced that God was present out of every single step along the way. And maybe it wasn't spectacular, miraculous healing that Jesus did in the first century, but trust me, God did all other things, all the other appointments, everything along the way. No waiting, no hassle, no complications. Everything was so beautifully and so peacefully. And we always thank God for that. But can God heal? Absolutely. If it's a will of God, number one. Okay, people forget to pray. People demand on God. People go up and demand on God that God will heal an individual. We forget that we should ask God if that's God's will. Because only God can heal people. If it's not God's will, you can pray as much as you want to. But it will never happen. And number two, God will allow sickness in a church. For many reasons. God will allow circumstances in a church for many reasons. But let me tell you what I learned when, one, when my wife gets sick. Number of people in a church in CJ Toronto become very, very close to us. There were a number of people that we know for years, but we didn't know them personally. Over the sickness, I know there are a number of people who pray, who prayed a lot. And we know they pray because they call us. They pray with us over the phone. They pray with us after church service. And they were always our we were always on their minds. So God can use some horrible things that may happen at church to bring us, to pull us together as a one family, to teach us something. How to stay close, how to overcome difficult situations as a group, not as an individual. So yes, God can heal. When we go in the healings in the Bible, it goes the same way. When Jesus heals somebody, he tried to teach a message. He did the healing to kind of get all the attention of other people. And then he was giving them a spiritual message. You see, it's very interesting in James, you don't have to go there. In James chapter 5, he says, if you get sick, you call the, on the elders of the church. Really? If I break my hand or my leg, where I go to the pastor or go to the hospital, where will I go? What do you think? If your heart starts, you know, if your heart starts pumping now, what do you need right now? You need to go to emergency room as soon as you can, right? So what is James writing there? You see, there is a difference between spiritual healing and physical healing. If you, okay, if you sin in your life, which has something to do with spiritual thing, he says, you call on the elders of the church. They will unite you, they will pray over you, and he says, God, I forgive your sins, because the fervent prayer of a righteous man can avail a lot. So that's my opinion, brother. You can argue with me later all the way you want to, but just for now, it's my opinion, okay? And the same thing is in Galatians chapter 6 and 1. He says, if somebody 
stray away from the way. He says, restore this individual gently. And you know, healing is so popular these days. There are so many preachers perform, you know, all these healings on TV. But the commission in the gospel nowhere says, nowhere, not even in one single place says that we shall go into the nations and heal them from their physical, physical, you know, problem. Does it say that? No. We should go into all the nations to make disciples, to teach them this wonderful great news of the kingdom of God. So that's what is my point when it comes to these gifts. So we see, in general, when you think about the healing, healing should, should focus on, we should focus on the spiritual healing, not just so much on the physical aspect of it. And I know when we get sick, we want to be healed. We all know healed. We're not going to, none of us wants to die from many of the diseases. We want to live as long as we can. But, think about it. When you have this word of God, and by chance, if you can, through this word of God, get attention of other individuals who is on the street, can be a neighbor, can you be a co-worker. And if you open the eyes of this individual to this word of God, that you are the initiator of this wonderful spiritual healing that's going to come along in this, in this individual life. What a blessing it is. It's more just to heal somebody from a physical illness and say, that's it. Alright, so that will be the Corinthians chapter. In Ephesians, I'm not going to go there, I'm not going to spend too much time there about Ephesians 4 with Brother Agent two weeks ago. It was a wonderful message about blessings of the elders. What I'm just going to mention about this thing is very quickly, the elders is always plural. It's never appeared in a single passage of the singular. Every single church is supposed to have elders. And the elders can exist in different forms. Elders can be teachers. Elders can be pastors. Elders can be evangelists. They're all different gifts. Not every elder is a good pastor. And not every elder okay, is a good evangelist. Okay? Think about that. Because we think that pastor is just one man who can do everything. It's not true. It's not biblical. So I'm going to leave this gifts for some other times. I'm not going to cover them now. But let's go to the other set of gifts. And we will spend a lot of time there. Right. So make sure you have your pen. You have it. If you want to take some notes, you want to take some scriptures. If you want to trust me what I'm saying, you have to follow me. I'll call them the, I'll call them the preparational gifts. And they're listed in the book of Romans. So go to Romans chapter 12. And these cards are very important. If you're not so sure what is your gift, now we want to pay close attention. Now we have to follow what, what, we, what, I, what I will try to do. We'll go to each of these gifts. What I will try to do, I will try to give you the, the individual in the Bible that I think most represent this kind of a gift. I'll give the scriptures along the way, and we'll see you. And you can compare yourself to this gift and check it if that's what you have in your heart. If that's what you feel that you might have in your, you know, in your uh, kind of, you know, in your character. So Romans chapter 12 and verse 6, it says here, Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them if prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. Or ministry, let us use it in our ministry. He who teaches in teaching, he who exhorts in exhortation, 
He who gives with liberality and he who leads with diligence. He who sows mercy with cheerfulness. So let's start with the prophecy. And please don't confuse me. I said the prophecy back in Corinthians, I said that was just temporary gift. Based on that, that God does not speak on the individual basis in a verbal form anyone. I'm not saying God can't. But if you know any person who spoke to God, let me know. Okay? Let me know. If you heard some people who say, oh, God told me this, God told me that. Okay? What I'm talking about prophecy in general, we will see. We will see what I mean right now. What is the definition of prophecy? To speak for prophetic declaration, exhortations, and warnings. And I know that many individuals in this church have this gift. I'm not going to say names. I'll just follow all up. What do you think? What individual in the Bible we have this characteristic in his character of prophecy? I would say their name, but I would say the first prophet. What about Elijah? You like Elijah? So let's go to Elijah. Go to First King chapter 18. When you study about the prophets, it's amazing. The one major characteristic what they have in common. They are programmed to the scripture. They are motivated by the word of God. They like to challenge other people on the scripture, and they like to ask people difficult questions. These people usually will come to you and say, Oh, really? Why don't you show me what it is in the Bible? That's how they will approach it. These people have this character of, you know, gifts of prophecy. So, first king, we know Elijah, we know the story of Elijah. First king, first king chapter 18, and let's have verse number 17. Then it happened, when Ahab saw Elijah, so you can imagine, the powerful Israelite king, and there's a prophet, okay? So he's going to confront him, okay? And he says, And Ahab said to him, Is that all you, troubler of Israel? And he answered and says, I have no trouble Israel, but you and your father's house have. Can you imagine how brave this person is? In that you have forsaken the commandment of the Lord and have followed thoughts. So, this individual, when they speak, they will always have warning in their speech. They will warning. They have a warning for everybody. That's in their heart. That's what they want. Okay? And they will normally, like in this scripture, they will normally, they will point out your shortcomings, they will point out your sins in your life. They are not afraid to do that. We are not good at this thing. Not everyone has this ability. Verse 19. And therefore, send and gather all Israel to me on Mount, on Mount Carmel, the 450 prophets of Baal, and the 400 prophets of Asherah, Queen of Jezebel's table. So you see, these people at the same time will have a very confrontational spirit. There's nothing wrong with that. It's just how those, that's how God designed some people, and that's some you know gifts that God gives to some people. They have, they will have a confrontational spirit. And you know, in the end, they will always emphasize the judgment of God is come on you or on nations or anybody if you're not going to follow the word of God. Verse 21, And Elijah came to all the people and said, How long would we falter between opinions? If the Lord, if, if the Lord God, if the Lord is God, follow Him. But if Baal, follow Him. But the people answered, not said a word. 
So we see the prophets. But it's for them there is no middle ground. It always speaks in black and white. That's good, that's wrong. There is no ground in the middle. You follow God, you can follow the other ones. And are very, uh, they're very motivated by God's word. And don't try to blend all these things together. This is not. That's a right way, that's a wrong way. There's no way in the middle if you follow God. So, let's move on. Verse 22. Then Elijah said to the people, I'm alone and left a prophet of the Lord. But boss prophets are 450 men. So you see, sometimes when you talk to people like that, have the spirit, have this gift of them, they will see, they will think that, you know, many times they will think like, you know, oh, God, there's not so many people like that. Not so many people motivated like I am. There's not so many people that understand the word of God that I do. And they always think that they're just, just themselves. And there's no anybody, no anybody else around them. But God says, hold on. I have other people like you. Don't worry. The word is not dying. Just keep doing what you're doing. That's your gift. I want you to exercise your gift. Okay, verse 27. And he saw it was at noon that Elijah mocked him and said, Cry aloud, for if he is God, either, either, either he's meditating, or he's busy, or he's on a journey, or perhaps he's sleeping and must be awakened. That's a very funny, funny part of Elijah, right? So, you know, sometimes when you hear when prophets speak, you might think that these people are so uncaring. Or you might misunderstand their motivation. You might think they're so harsh on us, and they're so harsh on other people. No, just the way, that's how they operate. That's what's in their heart. They want the best for God's people. Verse 37. Verse 37. Oh, hear me, O Lord. And he's praying now. He says, Hear me, that these people might know you, that you are the Lord God, that you have turned their hearts back to you again, that the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt sacrifices and the wood and so on. And verse 29 says, Now when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and they said, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. So usually prophets... They will bring people back to God. And that's a success story of Elijah. He was not harsh. He just wanted to bring his people back to God. And in verse 46, when at the end Elijah was taken, and he says in verse 46, And then the hand of the Lord came upon Elijah, and he girded up his loins, and ran ahead of Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. And prophet, brethren, prophet, I always have a sense of urgency. They don't want to waste time on any little things. They say, no, God says this, we got to go, we got to do it. All have the sense of go, 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 urgency. When some other people may not have. So there is so much more we can do about the prophecy, the gift of prophecy. We just don't have any time, and there are so many other guests that they want to follow today. So do you think it was helpful? Do you think we learned something from this? Do you want me to go on? <laughs> Alright, the next one will be the ministry, gift of ministry. Simple. It's just the service. Servant. That's what the gift of ministry is. What do you think that individual would come to your mind? They'll have this passion in heart to serve other people. Anyone that comes along? I picked one. Timothy. Would you agree? <coughs> Let's just see in the Bible what it says about the Timothy. Go to the book of Acts, chapter 17. Book of Acts chapter 17 and verse 15. 
It said, so those, so those who conducted Paul brought him to Athens, and receiving a command from Silas, and there is the name Timothy, to come to him with all speed, they departed. So people like Timothy, with uh, this gift of ministry, they're always ready. They have the desire, inclinations in their heart, to serve others. They want to serve, serve, serve. Nothing else is more important to them than service to others. If you go to chapter 19, book of Acts chapter 19, and in verse 21, and it says that when these things were accomplished, Paul purposed in, in the spirit when he had passed through Macedonia and Ahia to go to Jerusalem, saying, After I have been there, I must also see Rome. And verse 22, so he sent into Macedonia two of those who minister to him, and again the name comes Timothy and Erastus, but he himself stood in Asia at that time. So people like that, they're always happy to follow orders. As long as they know it comes from God, as long as they know it's for God's people, and as long as they know it's going to benefit God's people, they don't ask questions. When you met people like that along, you will say, brother, we need, you know, this thing is not working. Can you, can you see something? They will just go whatever they can, just to fix it. Whatever you ask them, they will just say yes. Yes, ma'am. Yes, yes, sir. I will do it. I will do it. That's the people who have this gift. First Corinthians chapter 4. First Corinthians chapter 4. Verse 17. For this reason I have sent Timothy to you, who is my beloved and faithful son in the Lord, who will remind you of my ways in Christ. People who love to minister, who love to this, they have this gift of ministry, they are always faithful servants, no matter what. They are always faithful servants. And Paul was so blessed to have, some pe- to have people like around him who would serve him almost to the end. Philippians. Philippians 2. Philippians 2, verse 19. Philippians 2, verse 19. But I trust in the Lord Jesus to send, there is again, Timothy to you shortly, that also may be encouraged when I know your state. For I have no, for I have no one like-minded who will sincerely care for your state. See, these people like that, that are fulfilled, they delight, they desire, they are fulfilled while serving others. That's what they take. That's the first thing they get up in the morning. That's the only thing that's in their mind. How to serve others. And in verse 21 it says, For all, for all seek their own, not the things which are of Christ Jesus. But you know, but you know his proven character, that as, son, that as a son with his father, he served with me in the gospel. He proven himself over and over again. Tribulations, no tribulations. You know, bad weather, nice weather. He would travel, doesn't matter what happened. Whatever people, whatever leader would ask him, whatever God would ask him, he wouldn't have any problems. As long as he had opportunity to serve and help others. That's how Timothy was. And maybe the one more in Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse 6. 
Look at verse 6. But now that Timothy has come to us from you, and brought us a good news of your faith and love, and that you always have good remembrance of, our, of us, greatly desiring to see us, as we also to see you. Therefore, brethren, in all our affliction and distress, we are comforted concerning you by your faith. People who have this gift of serving, you see, they always bring a good report. They don't like to bring the negative report. They always concentrate on things that are good. They don't want to spend time like the prophets on the things that are not so good. They want to emphasize the things that are really good that are going well in the church. So that's, you see the difference as we go through all the scriptures. So you can see what you can, you know, mostly fit it in what kind of category, what gift is God blessing you. So, and you know, I think I will stop here, with, especially with this gift of ministry. But the servant basically, most servants, they don't have any problem to identify with a teacher or a master, or even with a project of the church. We might say, you know, like Pastor Ramakan is organizing, you know, are they lost? And there are some people who like to minister, they don't care. They'll stand behind the project, they'll do everything they could to make this project <coughs> successful. They don't care who's leading, as long as it's, as it's done the right way. Was that helpful? Ready to move on? Okay, the next gift, exhortation. So the definition of this gift is also very plain, comfort, entreat, discourse, convey urgent advice or recommendation, right? When you think about person, but this great ability to exhort other people. Anything that comes to your mind? I heard something. Barnabas, anyone else? I, what about Paul? I think he was a great individual when it comes to this gap. So let's see. Let's go to Romans. Look how Paul's, how smart he was. Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6, verse 6 and 7. So he's writing to the Romans, he says, Knowing this, that our all men was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. For he who has, for he who has died has been freed from sin. And skip to verse 11. It says, Likewise you also recon yourself to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in its lust. So the first thing to exhorter, always desire to give up precise steps of action and stimulating other people to grow spiritually along the way. And Paul was very good at it. He always liked to challenge people. He says, you can't stay there. You need to grow. And I will show you how you need to grow. Let's go to the next scripture. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 10. Now I plead with you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, and that you be there no division among you, and that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind, in the same judgment. You see, the exhorter always take a person at the point of where they are, and it says, you need to step out of your comfort zone. You need to go a little bit farther. I want you to grow. So the next week, the next month, the next week, I want to see how we're climbing. I just hate. I just hate when I come and I see these people and they stay the same. <clears throat> week pass by, month pass by, two, two months pass by, and 
just people spiritually that are still the same people. He just, with people who have this quality, you will hate it. But say, I need to do something about it. I need to exhort some people. First Corinthians chapter 7. First Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 3. I do not say this to condemn. For I have said before that you are in, in our hearts to die together and to live together. So, most of the time, the job of an extorter is not to condemn people. But, extorter will not make excuse for sin, either. But it will show you the step, it will try to motivate you how to get up this comfort level, and how to move up to the next stage. Philippians 1.12 Philippians 1.12 See, it says, but I... But I, want, but I want you to know, brethren, that the things which happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. What is Paul is saying? He says, listen, tribulations is part of life. Things will happen. But I want you to tribulations, I want you to grow. I want you to grow. And I want you to use tribulation as a method of spiritual, of, of spiritual growth. Uh, let's go to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 9. For this reason we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you, and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will, in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you, that you, may, work, that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to his glorious power, for all patience and long-suffering with joy. So exhorted always desire to see the Christians reach their maximum potential. Don't stay in the middle. Don't stay too comfortable. Go, grow. Whatever is available for you in your personal life, in your spiritual life, I want you to go to the top. To be the best you, to be the best you can. Because if you don't reach to the top, whatever God gives you, the gifts and power and potential, will never be you will never be a powerful, you will never be an enthusiastic person if you live in this, in this earth. And the last one, we hear the verse 28. He we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom, that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. So, it's almost as I said before, this people wants to see you grow to its full potential, not just to stop in the middle and just quit and live comfortable lives. So, alright. Give up exhortation. There are many, many more scriptures. We don't have time to go to all of them. But hopefully, the scriptures and the character that they gave you to you will be some, somehow helpful for you to decide if you might have this gift that God is giving to you. Let's go to the next one. Giving. This is a big one. Okay, what do you think? Who was the, one of the greatest givers in the Bible? When I found this person, I was very shocked because I didn't see it before. But I go to some of the scriptures, I was amazed how this person was motivated by giving, giving, giving everything. Matthew. Uh huh. Let's go through some of the scripture in the book of Matthew. You will see it. So, giver, okay? I'm not talking about paying your tithes and giving an offering. I'm talking about giving everything. Not, not giving everything, but persons who are motivated by giving to others. Doesn't matter what it is. 
Let's go to the book of Matthew, uh, to the Gospel of Matthew. And verse 5. If we start reading the Gospel of Matthew and the way how he was motivated by giving is amazing. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 42. It says, Give to him who asks you, and from him who wants to borrow from you, do not turn away. So the giver has always inwardly joy, giving to those who have needs. And they will look for people who have needs. They will find these people who have needs. And they will give them their time, their money, effort, everything. 46. For you, you love those who love you. What reward, what reward have you? Do not even the tax collectors do the same. And if you, and if you greet your brethren only, what do you do more than others? Do not even the tax collector do so? So the giver does not expect or require anything back in return. They're just happy to give it and it says, as long as it bless your life, thank God for it. Uh, chapter 6, verse 1. Chapter 6, verse 1. Take heed that you not do your charitable deeds before men to be seen by them. Otherwise you have no reward for your Father in heaven. Therefore, when you do a charitable deed, do not sound trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogue. You can read all the way to the verse 4. But basically what it says, that the giver always desires to give in secret. See, the, the giver doesn't want to parade himself or herself, or, you know, look how much money donated, look what I did to this person, or look how I blessed this person. They try to keep it secret. And they know that God sees what they do, and, and they, the only thing they want to know, that they bless other person's life. And they're very happy with that. Alright, 6, and let's go to verse 19. Matthew again. Do not lay up yourself treasure on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. Okay? The giver has the ability to make wise decisions when it comes to money. Because they know that money comes from God. And the money that he has, or she has, she wants to use resources, bless God, not just their own life of living. Okay. 25. Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. It's not like more than food and the body more than clothing. Giver usually didn't worry about tomorrow. They have such a trust in God that they will give everything they have because they know that somehow along the way that God will bless them tomorrow or next week or the week after, and they try to encourage people, other people. They will give the best, and they will say, don't worry, brother and sister, today might be raining, but maybe tomorrow we'll have a nice weather. Don't worry about it. So that, that's the life of a giver. Chapter 7, and verse 6. Do not give what is holy to the dogs, nor cast your pearls before a swine, lest they trample them under their feet, and turn, and turn interior into pieces. The giver is very cautious, when they invest their money. What kind of project they invest their money. And brethren, I can go in the book of Matthew, I can go on and on and on. But let's say, let's go chapter 10. Chapter 10, verse 8. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons. Freely we have received, freely give. That's another Matthew. Freely you receive, freely give. And Verse 9, provide neither gold nor silver nor copper in your money belts, nor back for your journey, nor two tunics, nor sandals, nor staff, 
for a worker is worthy of his food. What he's saying, as long as you do God's work, you'll always be here. He will always provide for you to all kinds of means and situations that's going to come along your way. Along your way. Don't worry. Just give. So, brethren, that's the life of a giver. And I hope that we have some givers in our congregation. I hope that you maybe you didn't know, but hopefully you have something in your heart that will identify you with a giver. So let's go to the next one. Ruling. It all comes from the Romans, chapter 12. Ruling. It's presided over, okay? And the person, when I was thinking in the Bible, what kind of character I can use for this gift? There are many. There are many. What person comes into your mind? <clears throat> I, I, I picked King Solomon when he was at his glory. Okay? Let's go to First King chapter 8. First King chapter 8 and verse 8 to 9. First King chapter 3, I apologize, just go back to chapters. First King chapter 3 and verse 8. And look how Solomon addressed when he started praying on his when he starts praying, he says, that's the great ruler, okay, and he says, and your servant is in the midst of your people whom you have chosen, a great people, too numerous to be numbered or counted. And he says, therefore give to your servant an understanding heart to judge your people, that I may discern between good and evil. See, one character, characteristic of a good, lead, of a good ruler is to seek himself of a servant. These people are not my people. These people are your people. That's God's people. That's not my people. And he asked for wisdom. How to lead these people. That's the one characteristic of a good ruler. Uh, chapter 3 and verse 23. And you remember that first judgment he had to make. When the two prostitutes came to him. There were two babies. One was dead and one was alive. And the king said, the one says, this is my son who lives, and your son is the dead, dead one. And now the other says, no, but your son is the dead one. And he eventually, he makes the judgment. And in verse 21, when he made the judgment, and he made the right judgment, in verse 21, and all Israel heard of the judgment which the king had rendered, and they feared the king, for they saw that, he was, that, that, that the wisdom of God was in him to administer justice. So the rulers like that, they'll have the ability to make wise and discerning decision according to God's will. Not to their own will, not to their own heart, but, you know, they will always care, take care of God's people. First King chapter 4 and verse 1 and 19, and you will see, to be a successful reader, you see he put all kinds of people and names around him. So the ruler has the ability to delegate the authority to the other levels of, you know, just to govern his kingdom successfully. Or doesn't matter what it is, or go govern in government, or, or corporation, or organizations, or for the same matter, church. Only, you always need to find a way to delegate. To delegate. First King chapter 5. 
when now Solomon's trying to build a magnificent temple, and in verse 5 it says, And behold, I propose, I propose to build a house for the name of the Lord my God. As the Lord spoke to my father daily, saying, Your son, who I will set on your throne, in your place, he shall build the house for my name. So as a ruler, as a leader, you know, we need to see not just little things what's happening, but you can see, you have to see the big pictures. So he was able to imagine, was able to see the magnificent building. He could see how it's going to end and motivate the people to perform this task. That's the work of a leader. That's the work of a ruler. And the same chapter, verse 6. And now he needs help. Now therefore command that they cut down cedars for me from Lebanon, and my servants will be with your servants, and I will pay you wages for your servants according to whatever. And he's writing the, the, the letter. He's asking the king, uh, the king from uh, he's asking the higher king from, uh, from Tyre. And in verse 13, he says, The king Solomon raised up a labor force out of all Israel, and the labor force was 30,000 men. Can you imagine having a building project of 30,000 men? You need to plan, not just see the big pictures, right? But you have to have all these details. Delegate to all these other people who are organized in their way that people will perform effectively while building the standard. Imagine 30 people with no functions, when they're running between one another, they'll be just confused. So what's going on here? This is a job of a leader. Look at verse 8. Now he's writing to this uh, other leader in the other country. And in verse 12, he gets a response. So the Lord gave Solomon wisdom. The idea had promised him, and there was peace between, between Hiram and Solomon, and the two of, two of them made a treaty together. So a good leader is not just, you know, compete with the other leader, but the good leader will make a peace with the other leader and work for the same cause. And translating into today's reality, it's such a sad fact that, let's say, two pastors will compete for... Who is the greatest? Instead of a correct cooperating for the good of God's people, right? So that's the sum of characteristic of the good leaders. And Kings chapter 6, 1 Kings chapter 6 and verse 38. Now the Solomon is kind of stepping back a bit from his leadership quality, but he's still a great leader. In verse 38 it says, And in the eleventh year, in the month of Bull, which is the eighth month, the house was finished in all its details and according to all its plans. So he was, so he, so he was seven years in building it. But in chapter 7, verse 1, But Solomon took thirteen years to build his own house, so he finished all his house. So you can imagine, one project is over, Solomon's mind is already at other projects. Not just the one, but he's thinking about other efforts that we need to accomplish, other projects that need to be accomplished. And I know that he built his house a little longer than the temple for God. But as a leader, he has this mind to tackle and accomplish many tasks. And not everybody is qualified, not everybody is good at it. Not everybody is good at it. And you can also look in Second Chronicles chapter 7, and verse, 2 Chronicles chapter 7, you don't have to go there, you can write it down in verse 4 and 5 for the sake of time. You can see that ruler always identified himself with his people in a given task, and when he sacrificed her, he gave so much his own money just to be thankful for all this effort that they bring to bring to build this temple. So that comes to the gifts of ruling. 
Now so let's talk about the gift of mercy. Oh man, the time is coming. We're almost done. Just have two more, three more. So mercy. It's just the compassion of kindly forbearance shown towards another. That's what is definition. Anyone, any personality that comes from the Bible who we think is very merciful, or who was very merciful? Jesus. Of course. But, you know, it's difficult to compare ourselves to Jesus. Anyone else? What about John? I shocked you today a few times, huh? Let's think about John. Okay, let's turn to the Gospel of John and see some scripture. John chapter 3. So you can think about John, how the way how he write it, how he write his gospels. The same like how Matthew was writing his gospel as a giver. John is writing his gospel as a merciful person. He wasn't like that before, before he actually was converted. But he became a very merciful person later. And he writes in verse uh, verse three and verse uh, chapter three and verse thirty. Yeah, John three and verse thirty. It says, "He must increase, but I must decrease." That's talking about John the Baptist. So people have this gift. They always put other people before their own. They'll say, you want it? You go. I'll step back. I know that's not my role. When it comes to Jesus, he was prophesied. He was from the beginning. So that's how mine, how, how John was. Four, chapter 4 and verse 9. It says, Then the woman of Samaria said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, as a drink from me, a Samaritan woman, for Jews had no dealing with Samaritan. Mercy does not give, but mercy does not care if the person that needs help is a man. Merciful people will have everybody along the way, not just the Christians, but also people who are not part of this flock. They have this gift in their heart, they'll go, they'll be merciful to anyone else. Chapter 4 and verse 14. But whoever drinks of the water that shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. So, merciful people will always understand that, you know, helping them physically is one thing. But helping them spiritually, they always see the bigger need of helping people. Not just physically, but also dig in, deep in, spiritually. Uh, chapter 5. And verse 6, when Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he already had been in that condition for a long time, he said to him, do you want to be made well? See, mercy will always attach itself to the poor people who suffer. Or society may not just even, you know, have time to look at them. But merciful people will always find a time to associate the same with the people with needy people and people who need help. Chapter 6, verse 15. Therefore, when Jesus perceived that they were about to come and take him by force to make him a king, he departed again to the mountain, finding himself alone. So we see mercy tends to shy away. And you know, from public ministry, they don't want they don't want recognition. They don't want to be popular. 
They'll hide away to say, hey, I don't need it in my heart to be recognized for whatever I do. Mercy is mercy. And not every, you know, many people want some recognitions one way or the other. And, you know, I remember a simple example. If you go to the feast, you forget to mention one name. People will come and remind you, you didn't mention my name. <laughs> but you know that this person did not have a very merciful, he was not, didn't have a gift of mercy. <laughs> All right, so there are other scriptures, brethren, I can give you. You can come to me later, but, you know, for the sake of time, I hope that you can see that John's Gospel is full of that. He was very merciful to other people. But hopefully that was also powerful to you. But let's go to the last one. The gift of teaching. And I was amazed at this thing when I found it. And I'll give you already my individual, okay? My favorite individual of that. It's Luke. And I didn't know that. But as I was preparing for this message, and I was also trying to sort some other stuff, I came across Luke. The first few chapters of Luke. And if you look through the details that he's writing in his first chapter of his gospel, it's amazing. He was a wonderful teacher. And I will show you why. Just go to Luke chapter 1. And just read first the four verses. And then we go word by word by word by word. And see what I mean. Inasmuch as many have taken in hand to set in order a narrative of those things which have been fulfilled among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word delivered to us, it seemed good to me also, having had perfect understanding of all things from the very first, to write to you an orderly account, most excellent Theophilians, not that you may know the certainty of those things in which you were instructed. So first, when you read this verse, you might not pay attention, like, you know, like, oh, what's going on, okay, here. But look, the gift of the teachers, okay, in the one, just to start from verse number one. A teacher holds back information, all information, until all information comes in. Not just the one single one, but they will wait till everything comes in and back on the information. And he says, he says, as many have taken in hand, many, so he's not the only one. He says, many have researched this stuff. He says, I look at this, all of this thing, and now I can write. And he says, verse 2, when you read this full, verse 2 it says, a teacher is careful of their information source. You not just rely on yourself, you rely on other witnesses along the way. Another passage that is so good about Luke, a teacher has an attitude of joy in doing research. And Luke, in, in verse 3, it says, it seemed good to me. So he's very happy, he's very excited that the research says, it, it seems also good to me. You know, all the eyewitnesses and everything, I, I, I talk to these people, I research all this material, it seems good to me, I love it. That's what the teachers would do, right? Another one. A teacher realizes he's, he's the part of the bigger body. He's not alone in all of this thing. He's part of the bigger body. And he says the next verse, it seems good, but he says, to me also. So you see, he acknowledged all the other people, all the other research, and he says, to me also. So he identified himself with the part of the other teachers that comes along. And another, another part. A teacher will have optimum understanding of the material. And he says, perfect understanding. In the same passage, he will say, have perfect understanding. Before I bring this to you, I want you to, I have a perfect understanding, I want you to have this perfect understanding. There is no confusion. That's what the teachers will do. Another part, a teacher is concerned with all facts and details. Okay? And he will say, 
all things, not just one thing, but he says, of all things, from the very first, of all things, that's what the teacher says, not just one thing, all things. And a teacher is happy to be chained to the desk, or whatever, table, and spend many hours researching and studying. And he just, and he just says here to you, just simple words, to you, to write to you. And you know, he said and he wrote the whole Gospel of Luke to one person. Can you think about it? He was so excited to share this and write this whole Gospel just to one individual. So he's not just doing research and stuff, just make sure that everything is correct, everything is true. Hey, I will write to you. I have a pleasure to do all this thing and to write to you. The teacher had the desire to deliver truth in a systematic way. And he says to you, in what fashion? He says, in order. The things by order, not just, you know, happen by themselves. There is an order to the things that they want to show you all these things, right? And then it goes on in verse 4. The teacher is concerned that their hearts understand. And he says that you might know, okay? That you might be instructed. And at the end he says, certainty of these things. He says, what I'm writing to you. This is not something my imagination, this is not something that is my conclusion. He says, these things are for sure. So brethren, just, the, just teachers. But there are many teachers in the Bible, but Luke, as of right now, Luke is my favorite. So you can see just for a few verses. And then if you go on and read just, you know, all these other chapters in the book of Luke, you can understand how great, how great teacher Luke was. So brethren, that's it. One hour and thirty minutes. We come to the conclusion. I told you I'll be long. But you see, to be an enthusiastic Christian, okay, to be a powerful Christian, to be a Christian that you want to have an impact on your home, on your society, on your church, two things must happen, okay? We have to follow God with our whole heart. That's number one. And number two, we have to know exactly understand what my gift and what my talent is. Because, you know, I want to bless my brethren with my gifts and my talents. Understanding the difference between different gifts and talents gives us understanding about some individuals. We don't get so easily offended because somebody has this prophetic influence in the church and says, you know, I don't like what you're doing. It says, like, you know, who gives you the church over? And the same thing, imagine if, if every single one of us were a giver and no ruler or not a teacher, can you imagine what would happen in a church? Well, where of us will I give it? Will be badge of illiterate Christians. That's what will happen to us. So, brethren, I hope that I shed some light and, you know, my research will help you a bit. If you don't know what your gift is, that you go home and you will study it. You will go through all the scriptures. If you missed anything, if you don't agree with anything, please see me, okay? Please see me for our discussions later. If you want a copy of all the scriptures that I have, if you want a copy later, just let me know. I can print it and I can send you an email. Okay, brethren? Thank you so much. God bless you. This has been a podcast from the Burlington Congregation of the Church of God International. We hope you are blessed by it. To find out more about CGI Burlington, visit our website at cgiburlington.org.